Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winner is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. We are Take the Black, and I'm your host, Razor. I'm here with Isis and Corey Smith. Corey Thone could not be with us this week. And you know what? Who cares? I'm kidding, Thone. <laughs> uh, if you ever listen to this, we care. Anyway, um, so... We love you, Thone. We do. We love you. Um, So we're going to talk today about... The episode you guys chose last week for us to review, we're going to be recapping Season 3's um, heavyweight of an episode. The episode that n- nobody could talk about beforehand, but everybody talked about afterward, The Reigns of Castamere. Before we get started, though, we're going to – Corey Smith and Dan Selke, our editor-in-chief, he's not on the podcast tonight, but they went to – um, the second annual Con of Thrones. It was hosted in Dallas, Texas. Corey, why don't you hit us with a, cu- a quick few highlights, some of your favorite moments from the uh, three-day event. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so like I said, it was three days, just chock full. I think the panels start at 10 a.m., and they go till you know, six or seven each night. So, you know, one panel an hour, and there's 20 panels, ha- or, well, six or seven panels happening at any time. So, it was hard a little bit to kind of divide and conquer because there's so many. I mean, it's, you know, you've got people that are there just fans of the show. You've got people that are books, you know, and it gets incredibly, you know, specific, some of the panels. Um, so it was hard to choose between some sometimes. And then, of course, they had um, current and former cast members there. They had some crew members there. Um, and they all did, you know, kind of long talks, and then they would sit in on other panels and give their input on whatever subject that was. And they did a big autograph signing, too, as well, didn't they? Like, each day they had autograph signing? Yeah, you could basically get any of them. I I think almost all three days, all of them were signing. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you could get autographs, you get pictures with them, um, and they were all, you know, we kind of sat back and watched some of them. And they were sitting there and chatting with the fans for five or ten minutes, each you know, each person that came up. So it wasn't just like an assembly line. It wasn't um, like um, Comic-Con in San Diego where you go in and you're just hustled through, sign, boop, sign, boop. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, I they were sitting this, and this talking. Year, and, this year seemed like they had a lot of press, a lot more press than they had last year. I noticed a lot of the news coming out was covered by a, 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 quite a few of the, uh, I guess, press corps, I guess, for lack of a better word. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Vanity Fair was there. Um, all the Game of Thrones fan sites were there. Um, Daily well, let's Dot. Be honest, the only one that's really important is Winter's Coming. Winter's Coming dot net. That's correct. Yeah, D- uh, Dan was on quite a few. Pan- he was on three separate panels. Um, him and I each got to. I got to interview uh, Paula Fairfield, who's the sound designer mm-hmm. um, on the show. So she creates, um, you know, everything from like. The dragon roars um, to you know just the unsolicited marching. She so created. She, she also created the White Walker sound. The White Walker sound. Um, Fairfield is actually, kooky cool. I like her, man. She's awesome. She is, and you know, going in, you know, you never kind of know when you're interviewing someone. You know, some people it's like pulling teeth trying to get info. Uh, Fairfield is just. You know, she's slow pitch softball. You just toss it to her, and she's hitting a home run, and you just sit back and watch. Um, yeah. I mean, she you ask her something, and she goes, goes, goes. So we'll have that interview up on the site. Um, Dan got to interview Hannah Murray, who plays Gilly. Um, he had quite a good time with her. From what I understand, she gave him some good stuff. Um, and then, you know, and then everybody did their, you know, spotlight panels. Um 
I have to say, uh, Milt. I can't pronounce his last name, uh, but Miltos. Cereal uh, Pharrell. Cereal Pharrell. Yes, he was <laughs> hilarious. Um, he I've had heard the crowd laugh. Pretty much every con he goes to, he's like a big draw because he's really friendly. And he's yes, engaging. he's extremely friendly. He's he's got great stories. Um, he loves to talk about acting, not just Game of Thrones, but like lots of you know side stuff that he does. And, um, you know, he's, he was just, he was a lot of fun. Um, Joe Dempsey was there. He was a lot, he was, he was a pretty good speaker. Um, the actress who plays Roz, who is Littlefinger's, uh, madam for the first three seasons, Mm -hmm. she was there and she, she was actually quite entertaining. Um, she was on a panel that I, I didn't know what to expect was, it was a panel about sexual violence within Game of Thrones. And that panel actually ended up being extremely interesting, um, and you know, just all the different points. Wasn't her death um, on the show by Joffrey? Did he kill her? Right, Joffrey shot her, you know, full of arrows, and um, and but, some kind you know, of weird, the, kinky like way he got mm-hmm. off through snuff. right. But it was it was just Joffrey was. <laughs> it, I mean, just that panel was just a, it was a it was a great example of you know you had you had a couple. Of, of uh, various media members that were hosting the panel, and then you had her on, you know, Esme Bianco. I'm sorry, I remember her name. Um, And it was interesting to see just how, like, we view it, and then as a cast member, how she viewed it, because it was was often, um, you know, against uh, what we we were thinking. So, um, you know, for instance, like... Like, like maybe like you felt uncom- like feeling uncomfortable watching like Jamie and Cersei have sex on top of their dead right. son. That, okay, so that came up, um, and that and um, Danny and and Drogo and um, I forget there was another example. Uh, oh, obviously Ramsay and, and Sansa. Mm-hmm. And so you know her point was with all that is yes it was uncomfortable but she thought it was. It, it wasn't gratuitous. She didn't count it as gratuitous because she felt like it, it opened up the dialogue with about subjects like uh, marital rape. Right. Uh, so, it, you know, it was just there was and I don't mean to go too dark, but it was all the you know, most of the panels were like that, where especially when the cast were involved, um, you know, you got a different perspective on a lot of things. So it was a lot of fun. And then everybody's cosplay was just ridiculous. I saw uh, some of y'all's photos that y'all took there. There were some yeah, great. Yeah, and, and, it, and it, that was, you know, it was hard to get them all. You know, we took, we took photos. We interviewed a lot of the, of the fans, and, um, but it was hard to get them all. There was one guy who was walking around that was a pretty good spot on Jon Snow, and he wore a different Jon Snow outfit every day of the con. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's dedication, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's... Each, yeah, and each outfit was awesome. Like, it wasn't, and they weren't like, you know. He, he didn't half-ass that shit. He did not. He had, he had yeah. you know, John in the first couple seasons. He had John the Wildling, and then he had uh, John with the, the badass breastplate. Dude, uh, that's, that's some dedication. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's just he a lot of people like children. that. I like yeah, that Sons of the Harpy, the one, the big, the big bronze yeah, Sons of the Harpy. Right. And there was a guy walking around that was dressed as the wall. Um, <laughs> which was pretty- <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just a lot of fun. It was, you know, everybody's walking around and, you know, you're t- everybody's taking pictures with people that are cosplaying and you're going to the panels and you're meeting the cast and talking to the cast and, 
Um, it was just a, a really good time. They did an, uh, you know, the organizers did an excellent job of keeping everything running, and everything was running on time. Um, you know, they had a little app that would let you know, you know, what panel was where. So nice. it was just, you know, other than the price of like sandwiches at the hotel, um, you know, it was just, it was just a great time, and I, I really didn't have any complaints. Well, let me ask you a question. Who, because we have to have a, a favorite favorite person that uh, that you met at the con, one that you, you know, because they always say, you know, you shouldn't meet the, your heroes or anything like that because you might be disappointed. Tell me one that you were, you were pleasantly surprised, one that you were disappointed, and if quickly you can tell us, like, what was the favorite story that came out of there? Oh, I like this game. It's almost like Fuck, Mary Kill. Good job, Isis. <laughs> Ah, this is what I'm here for. <laughs> I mean, I, I touched on it earlier. Um, you know, Miltos was just an incredibly engaging speaker. Um, you know, he, like I said, he, he hit all the Game of Thrones stuff, um, but then he was talking about all these little small plays that he does. So out uh, of everybody, he was your favorite? He was probably he was probably my favorite just, you know, one-on-one. There were some other panels. Um, like I said, that, that, um, that sexual violence... Panel I didn't ask the, you about what panel. I'm just saying, what was your favorite Game of Thrones person on there that was like, man, I'm so glad that I this person, you know, I, I'm... I this got person made my person. trip. Yeah, yeah. It, it made it worthwhile. Yeah, Miltos was probably... He, he probably would be on top of that list. Um, well, you heard it, I, gang. If he's in a, in a, in a con, <laughs> go. Yeah, it's and Corey it's, coughs right in the fucking mic. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, young Hodor who played uh, Sam Coleman, he was he was a lot of fun. I mean, he obviously he wasn't on the show for for very long, um, but he was kind of you know he was cutting up the whole time. They had a panel that was dedicated to the they called it the Dead Kids panel. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Who was one that you were very disappointed in? Like, who was one that you were like, oh, man. Be honest, I man. Really be brutal. Like, yeah. Be, you just, I mean, you're just being honest. This is your own opinion. I mean, but just, I mean, you can say, hey, you know, um, didn't, you And know, just know that if, it's, if it was Hannah Murray, she played a wild and she knows how to kill you. <laughs> you know, if I did, I, it's funny you should say that, because if I was going to go with someone, it, it would probably be Hannah Murray. Um, it, I don't know, and this is from a distance. I I didn't get to interview her, so maybe Dan has a different opinion. Um, I didn't have any like private time with her, just from a distance. She just seemed kind of uncomfortable, um, with things, and she wasn't kind of. It seemed like everybody else was a little more laid back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, that that's that she comes totally... across that way in interviews. She does though too. Like I feel like sometimes, like when see when the seasons start to get closer. She's always one of those actresses interviewed, like, "Hey, what's what's Gilly up to in this season?" And she's always very hesitant about revealing what, about what's going on. Like, like she almost doesn't want to like give too much away because she knows she's gonna get she's gonna lose her job and never act again if she does. <laughs> yeah, and and maybe that's what it was. I mean, I don't I don't know why, you know, what the deal was. It just that just from me from a distance, that's it kind of struck me. And she had some fantastic things to say on her spotlight panel. Um, she talked about a deleted scene in season seven and uh, that she was a part of and just, you know, she had some great things to say. Yeah, didn't they film her. a whole thing for her and they didn't, they didn't even put it in, like, a whole backstory for, um, what was it? Gilly. 
Well, no, she had this. She was reading another book uh, after she discovered Ragar. Um, Ragar. Right. After she discovered that, she had this whole. She read this other book called Legend of the Long Night. Yeah. And it was all about north of the wall and the wildlings and the the white walkers and stuff. And there was a chapter in there about a. He was unnamed in the book, but obviously we know she was. The book's talking about Craster, her husband slash father right um that there was a wildling beyond the wall that sacrificed his sons to the white walkers um and and so like i think she was gonna i think the the point of the scene was she was she always kind of knew what happened to the sons but um at craster's keep but the scene kind of confirmed it to her so it was supposed to be like more of a personal thing um, and she admitted, like, before season seven, she was telling everybody how, you know, Gilly had this really personal season seven, and then it got cut. Um, so, you know, that was kind of funny. And she also she also mentioned the one person she really wanted to have a, have a scene with was Stephen Delane. She <laughs> uh, plays Stans, Stans Baratheon. And so she said when she got the season seven or season five scripts, excuse me. Um, she was super excited to find out that she had scenes with him and then she read the scenes and basically Gilly immediately walks out of the room as soon as he comes in. <laughs> so she was, she was super disappointed about that. So it was just, you know, it was a, it was a good time. You know, we, everybody there was super friendly. Everybody was having a lot of fun. Um, all the panelists, you know, not just like the crew, but you know, other media members and just fans and YouTubers and stuff were on panels and, Everybody was just a lot of fun, and you could really get into it, and everybody was open to hearing the other arguments without, you know, because sometimes, you know, on the internet, it gets really mean-spirited really quick. Because it's anonymous, uh, basically. Pretty much right, anonymous. Exactly. And so it's just different when you're seeing that person there across the room, and they're smiling, you know, you, you know, so everybody just, I felt like everybody had a good time, and it was, you know, super relaxed, and that there weren't any Wait, kind of Let me ask you this. I've, I've been to several cons as, in my nerd life, I've been through several, several cons, but only as, like, I've only had press passes here recently in the past, I guess, five or six years covering things. Um, I always see groups, you know, like, people like, for instance, um... And I don't know if they did this or not, but like if the free people from Free Folk were going from the Free Folk subreddit, they would meet up in a certain spot at the con and have a, have T-shirts and signs and stuff. I've seen that at different cons, like Star Wars groups and, and whatnot. Did they have groups from like different fan groups meeting up together and hanging out together? I didn't notice any. Um, I mean, from what I saw, I never really saw more than just a couple people together at a time. Hmm. You know, like, and they all look like they like arrived to get, you know, like husband and wife or, um, you know, I had one panel I went to where, and maybe I, maybe I missed the premise, but the, the main speaker was just railing on Ned Stark. And (laughs) it was, it was kind of jarring to, to listen to because he was just like, okay, let me bring up another point. This is how Ned Stark sucked. And then he just would, everything was about how much Ned Stark sucked. I mean, to be honest, I, I get it, but cut the guy some slack a little <laughs> He's bit. Dead. I mean, God, come on, and, dead. And then they, you know, and they they talked to you know, and people would raise their hands and they'd be like, "Well, you know, maybe you should consider this." And he's like, "No, not really." And so I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't enjoy that panel very much. But it was, you know, all the other ones, 
you know, they had, uh, you know, they had what they called the great debates, and they had, a, you know, they would debate. The audience was allowed to suggest, you know, answers to whatever the topic was. And the one I went to was uh, most most uh, was it most consequential death? It was most important death, something like that, something along that manner. And yeah. the answers started out with, you know, Ned Stark or Tywin Lannister or Rhaegar Targaryen. Um, and then, of course, somebody suggested George R. R. Martin's will to finish the books. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And it, it was clear from the moment it was suggested that that was what was going to win. And, and in the audience chooses you know they they line them up and you pair them off and you choose whichever one you think and that one won by landslide wow uh the the whole way through so that was chosen the most uh most important you gotta love this fan base like yeah the same people who suggested that also will defend george r R. martin to the death oh there was (laughs) you know there was a guy dresses there was more than one guy dresses george r R. martin um, with the suspenders and the little, uh, you know, golf hat that he wears. Yeah, I, I don't know yeah. what you call it. Uh, there was one guy dressed as George Martin, and he had pages of the Winds of Winter um, <laughs> stapled all over his body, and they were all blank. Uh, so that was, you know, so it was it was fun. Like, I feel like everybody was just having a good time and just relaxed. And, and you know, all the pot, the big Game of Thrones podcasts were there. And Except for us. All the YouTubers. Well, right. That, that's your fault. Um, <laughs> this is the and, truth. This is the truth. So, you know, and everybody, you know, they did meet and greets. and three hours away. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Hey, it's only three hours away from me, and I made it. Um, but, yeah, so, no, it, it, was, a, it was a great time. Um, I mean, I look forward to next year. Hopefully it's someplace that's, you know, semi-nearby and not like, you know, Omaha or something random, you know, but... Uh, they did Tennessee last year, Dallas this year, uh, and it's going to be the yeah, last and who season knows? of Game of Thrones. Of course, we have the spinoffs, but this is the last season of the actual Game of Thrones in 2019, so... Yeah, and, and so, we don't I know, mean, hopefully it's somewhere nearby. Depending so. on when Season 8 airs, and depending on when they want to place Con of Thrones, yeah. <laughs> you know, it could be something that goes, hey... We, we're going to place it before Season 8 airs, and then we'll have another one to do in 2020, or we'll after Season 8, and everybody will show up. So, I don't know. Yeah, they could totally get away with running it again, um, you know, a year from now, if, you know, depending on when Season 8 airs. But, yeah, I'm sure this is something yeah. that's going to last for a while, especially if the spinoffs take off and people still gather. Of course, you have the book fans who are waiting for the Winds of Winter and all this stuff and all the other stuff. Anyway, so let's get right into our recap of... Uh, season three, episode nine, "The Reigns of Castamere." Um, this was chosen um, by you guys, our listeners, uh, as the episode that you would like us to recap. So, let's get right into it. Um, things start off with Sam and Gilly uh, making their way back from um, a craster. No, the, the the village where Sam kills the White Walker, and they're making their way towards the wall, and um, he's talking about the the night fort, right? And when they go there, uh, they don't actually go there. Uh, Gilly sees the wall and says that she's the first one to actually see the wall. And then um, after that, um, 
she she asks Sam if he's a wizard, and he gets that goofy grin on his face. So that was they were only in the episode for that brief amount of time, but that was well worth the whole. Are you a wizard? That was great. Well, and you have to understand that, like you know where she came from, all that she knew. I mean, this is this is monumental to her. You yeah. know, I mean, to to to. I mean, she really has been sheltered. Uh, I mean, she had her upbringing was, you know, I mean, w- while we laugh at it, at the same time, I the way I feel about Gilly sometimes is like she was that one. You remember that that news story where um, the women were held captive in a house yeah. and they had, hadn't seen the light of day or whatever. Like mm-hmm. that's who I equate Gilly to. Um, that she just, I mean, she, it's a whole new world for her. And, uh, I just want to say when you said that at the very, uh, at the very beginning, it was like, <laughs> all I can think of was making my way downtown. Sorry. <laughs> just, just side note. I just, it literally. Now it's on stuck in your head my forever. Head. Yeah, it is. Okay. So anyway, I just, it's a very, very small part, but it really goes to show you how sheltered this young girl is and, you know, where she is now. I mean, and where she has traveled now in season seven. Um, it, she's definitely come a, a fair, you know, a far long ways. Um, so, yeah, I, I love Gilly. I always love Gilly. Yeah, and she's grown and over this over the seasons. You know who hasn't grown, though, is uh, Baby Sam. Um <laughs> So, I know, I know that like, she can do gonna be a kid forever. Smith, he's Smith did she confirm that there's gonna be new twins playing Baby Sam for season eight? Didn't she say something about that? I'm not sure, but anyway, uh, so we've got we go from the wall to um, straight to Yunkai, I believe. So we've got Danny mm-hmm. uh, attacking Yunkai, and we've got not Dario there. And God, I'm so glad Isis that. They changed Dario Naharis to the guy who, who played him for the rest of the series up till season six or through season yeah. six. Yeah. So Ed um, Skirin. Yes. Skirin is his name. Um, that was not 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 Dario Nohaini, uh, <laughs> as I like to call him. Um, he. It, it's so funny because every time I look at him, I have to remind myself this is the same guy that was the villain in Deadpool one, and I'm like, oh my, oh my gosh, God, he's Ajax, it, isn't he? Yeah, he's Ajax. Yeah, and I'm like, this guy doesn't. I mean, they look like completely two different people, and I don't get me wrong, I absolutely loved him as Ajax in Deadpool, did not like him as Dario. Um, and then to see, again, I'm not a book reader, so I didn't know where this character was going, with, you know, was gonna, what was going to happen with this character. But, you know, after seeing what happens between Danny, all the interaction between Danny and Dario, I'm so glad that they hired um, the other guy. Uh, because I felt like they had so much more chemistry, much better chemistry, much much better. It was it was. I, I don't know what it was. It would just seem like you know. Yeah, I, Dario. The, I, don't know, I don't know about you. I don't know about you guys, but I got like the episode before is when he comes in. He comes in. He's introduced the episode before, I believe, and yeah. and she's taking a bath, and in in, in in one of the scenes, one of the last scenes of that episode, and he walks in while she's taking a bath, and like. Drops the heads on the floor and like you know I'm gonna be the guy who's he's gonna be there for you and all that stuff. I got all skeeved out with him like he skeeved me the fuck out. Yeah, I, I mean it just that it was not a good look. It was not a he was so rigid and so like 
yeah, I'm this big, strong guy. And I love the fact that, um, that Dario number two, um, had this swagger. I'm going to look up his name in a minute. Um, had this kind of swagger about him that you kind of, fell in love with him at the same time as Danny was falling in love with him, or at least had yeah, know, kind she, of feelings right, for him. She did. And, and so it really works towards the end when, you know, she's like telling Dario, like, dude, you're going to have to stay here, you know, and, and watch the, the port with me. And he's like, no, I want to go with you. You feel bad and for you, Dario. You do. You feel bad for him because you fell, you, you fell for him. You knew that that guy was ride or die. I could not say the same thing about the other guy if he would have stayed around. I don't um, think so. So, in, let's keep it in you in, in Yunkai, and, and then we can not ha- ever have to go back there again after this. But, uh, <laughs> also, did you notice how awful? And Corey Smith, I'm gonna take this to you. How awful and terrible, and how friendzony Sir Jorah was in this in this episode. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, last time when we were watching um, uh, Hard Home, you know, it, uh, one of the things is it's just so interesting to go back and see where all these characters were. And how they've progressed. And how they've progressed. Because, yeah, it, and and someone even brought this up at, at, the, at, at the con. On, on the show, you know, Jorah is somewhat creepy in the beginning. Uh, but in the books, he's full on creepy almost the entire time. He molests her on a ship in the books. He, he grabs her boob. He, yeah, he grabs her and tries to kiss her like in season two, and obviously at that point she's like fourteen. Yeah. Um, so he's super creepy in the books, and and you you do get a hint of that. At the very least, you get a hint of just how jealous uh, he is of. All other men uh, in Danny's life, you know, he doesn't even, want even Barristan. Like even him right. and Barristan. Even by that point in Yunkai, Barristan had been with him for a little bit, not not long, but had been with him for a little bit, and he'd been named the Queen's Guard. And he wants to go to Yunkai and help free the city. And <laughs> Jorah's like, "No, you got to stay here. Your swords are needed yeah. here." Right, yeah, he's trying to just eliminate any kind of, like, He wants the glory, and when he comes yeah. back from the fight, he has to look on, her, on his face like, Khaleesi, I did it myself, you know, and, and she's like, where's Dario Noharis? And that look on his face, like, what? Yeah. But what about yeah. me? I know, and it's, so, yeah, it's definitely kind of interesting to go back, because in the last couple seasons, you know, like, in season six, when he gets grayscale, and see, and season five, or well, he gets it in season five. But when he's fighting for Danny, and he refuses to leave her side, and then he talks in season six when he's like, "I'm just going to go somewhere and die," uh, and Danny's like, "No, I forbid it." You know, I command you to live. Right. It it it's, it shifts there, and though you know five, six, and seven to being less creepy, and I think you know. He's accepted that he's never going to be with her, but he loves her anyways, and so he's just going to be by her side. I mean, he's never going to. He's it, never going to give her up. He's never going to let her down. Yes. <laughs> yes. Good for you. Uh, but it, yeah, in season, in season three and four, he's definitely still trying to get with Danny, and yeah. you know, it's obviously not working, but it's definitely still there, and it was. You know, like I said, it, it's fun to go back and see just how much 
things change and how how much things progress later in the in the series. Isis, you know what I noticed? Um, there's a couple things I want to talk about from the Yunkai scenes that how compare and contrast, but. We were going to talk about Amelia Clark's role in Solo. We're not going to spoil for anybody listening. It, we're not going to spoil Solo, so you haven't seen it. Don't worry. You don't. Have, you don't have to turn off the podcast. We're not going to ruin it for you. But um, Isis and I were going to talk about Amelia Clark's acting in Solo at the end of the podcast tonight. But I find a great segue right now to talk about Amelia Clark in season three compared to Amelia Clark Solo. Completely different actress to me, in my opinion. Um, and I've always enjoyed Amelia Clark's um, portrayal of Daenerys. I thought I've always thought she was good. A lot of people didn't like her. Even and, th- and there's a strong group out there who don't like her, who think you know she's ruining everything because she's with John now. But whatever. Um, there's a lot of people don't like. So they think that she's been rigid. Um, she's an eyebrow actress. <laughs> I've heard that. Um, you know, there's all kinds. Of, she, she's an over actress. I've heard all kinds of things about her. But if you look at her in season three, she. It, and you compare her to how she's evolved as an actress to Solo, you know, heading into season eight, and she's in, she plays Kira in Solo. You can tell that she has grown so much. And in season three, she's almost reserved as Daenerys. Uh, what do you think? Of, what? What? How do you feel about her acting uh, from that point in season three till now, Isis? So for me, I you know, I I I like. I like the actress. Um, I like Daenerys as a as a character, um, but yes, I think that she did have quite the learning curve compared to all of the other seasoned actors that were on the show. Because I mean, let's be honest, Game of Thrones is jam packed with seasoned actors who have been doing this, have been in the game for many many years. Well, certainly and, the older ones, yeah. Certainly, like yes. the, the, the the adult type. Uh, characters were played by seasoned actors, but a lot of the kids around her age, they were all brand new actors, basically. Oh, and they were, and they were, but when you're talking about people who are, you know, um, doing um, the, the start kids, yeah, um, they were, I mean, I mean, I'm not going with Jon Snow because let's just be honest, he was just standing there being very broody. Um, <laughs> he did that very well, but that was about the extent of his um, you know, his acting abilities. Uh, but even the Lannister kids, holy shit. I mean, the fact that uh, we could hate, you know, somebody so much. And that I think that was like his first acting job. And he freaking killed it. Oh, job um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he just, and I think that was like his first acting job. Well, or, he did like or, a, you know, a small role in The Dark Knight, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was his first major one where he's yeah. trying to where he has to carry weight, and he did yeah. definitely well, carry I mean, it. He had more than two lines, so so you know, absolutely, and, and was one of the most hated people on the in the entire series. So, um, so again, he quit acting because of it. By the way, he, he, he's not because of all that negative feedback he got. He quit acting after. Well, job TV and film, he did a lot. Of, he he still does theater. Right. Yeah, right, right, theater, but. Okay, so so you know, going back to um, talking about Solo, um, I feel like Amelia Clark, you know, while she's been trying to launch a film career, she has run through the female gamut of movies that you like a box that you have to check off, and like a lot of them have been like romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Seriously, like she's done like I think she's done an animated movie check. You know, she did romantic comedies check you know serious uh, romance movies check 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 
check, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe a uh, uh, something you know, indie, check. A, gar- uh, a garbage action film in Terminator, check. Exactly. So I'm, I feel like she's like trying to check all these different boxes, and the, the acting hasn't been very deep. But I have to say that in Solo, she really impressed me. Um, loved, loved, loved her character and the way she portrayed her the, the character the the character had some new had nuances that we have not seen in Danny until the in the later seasons and it made you want um, to learn more about her absolutely it was just like i mean there are parts where you're just like okay well we need a second movie to this and i need to know what happens to her and um by the way did not, you know they all signed they all signed uh, three year agreements the main cat the main cast and solo did love it um so i just felt like not only has she grown as an actress, um, I think she, she with Solo, she may have, whether, it doesn't matter how you feel about the movie or the storyline or whatever the case may be. I'm talking about her and her character. What was so well done as far as being written and how she acted it, uh, such a, a vast improvement from all the other things that she's done movie-wise. To, to date. And she grabbed the uh, spotlight in a lot of her scenes. And she grabbed them from Alden Ehrenreich, who did really great in the, in the, in the film. Uh, Donald Glover, who was fucking amazing as Lando. Uh, yeah, there was no way you were going to snatch the freaking attention off of, of Lando. But she held her own uh, with Lando in the scene. Yeah, but she held her own. And again, there were times when her and uh, the character uh, that was playing Solo, I, I, can't, I can't say his name. Alden Ehrenreich. Yeah, him. Uh, he, I always remember from like beautiful creatures or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah, the movie. witch movie, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. He so was also in Hell Caesar, I believe. He was also in Hell Caesar. And um, and so I always felt like I was more interested and invested in her than I was even in Solo. Like wow, he, I, I, I at times I felt that way yeah. where I was like, I was like, oh, she's talking now. I'm paying attention to you, <laughs> and. Um, so anyway, um, loved her interaction with Lando as well. And there's well. some great like, scenes with her where she she gets physical and kicks some ass. Like she's oh my great gosh, action she does there. great great scenes with that. And I love the fact that like she could do the banter between her and Lando. Like I yeah. really felt like they had some really good kind of like mix it up chemistry. Um, and they could have actually. She was even funny, and this is not a spoiler. I'm not. I'm not giving any spoilers. I swear to God. But this is a. She had a funny, great moment where she's trying on Lando's capes in the Millennium Falcon. Oh yes, yeah. That was was, so. I laughed. I was. I. I started laughing uncontrollably. That was so funny because I mean, you talk about his capes all the time. And and the only thing I could think about was like The Incredibles. No capes. Uh, But uh, (laughs) but it was it was a really. um, So I just want to say Amelia Clark for me, as far as movies are concerned. Um, that she has done post, and I want to say post Game of Thrones because she's still on Game of Thrones, but um, but since she's she's really got into the acting and doing movies, right. this was probably her best acting that she I agree. has done. I agree, and I, I mean, I that has all been because of Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, I really, absolutely. I feel like she's really, really gotten to where. Um, you know, she can. But talking she's not about an eyebrow actor. Talking about her in season three, I agree with you. She's grown a lot. And there's there's another part I want to compare and contrast. We talked about Jorah Mormont earlier, and the actor Ian Glenn. I watched two fight scenes in this in this episode that really stood out to me. 
besides the actual red wedding, which really wasn't a fight scene. It was just a slaughter. But two fight scenes. One where Ian Glenn and as Jorah and, and Grey Worm and Dario go into Yunkai and they kill all the different the different slave soldiers and then they free the city, right? And Ian Glenn is whirling and spinning and like he's his he's, his action moves are fast and I'm like Wow, you don't really see this a lot with Jorah. You saw it in season five in Daz Next Pit, but you don't really see it a lot in Jorah. Um, so he, I, I had forgotten he, that he had done that. But you compare that to moving over to Westeros and the Wall. Kit Harrington, who has been hailed by the crew members of Game of Thrones as too fast for camera, they actually say he's a better fighter than anybody on screen, and that they have to tell him to slow down because it doesn't translate well to, from from what he's doing to, to on screen with all the visual effects and stuff they have to do. They don't have to add anything to Kit Harrington's uh, fights, fight scenes now. But in season three, when Tormund, they're at the tower and they're, they're going to kill the man who's raising the horses for the watch. And Tormund's there. He's like, you got to kill this man because you're one of us now. And uh, is it Orel? Uh, Smith, is it the wildling, the warg? Yeah. Orwell's yeah. like, you, you gotta kill him, and, and John pulls out Longclaw, and he's standing there all awkward, and then Egret shoots the guy. He's slow and clumsy. Did you get that? Did you see, notice it? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I did, definitely. So I don't know if, like, what you're speaking about comes from, you know, his later work. Oh, um, yeah, they said that in Hard Home. I remember they filmed him okay. for Hard Home and said he was too fast. For the camera yeah. in Hard Home, and and Hard Home is his movements are definitely much more natural. Um, and that's two but, full seasons later. <laughs> yeah, and this one it just seemed like it was really awkward. It seems like they're cutting away almost, like right before a lot of the swords, you know, yeah. kind of hit. So it definitely wasn't a great scene as far as fight choreography goes. Um, you know, like you said, especially concerning John. Um, I mean, he fights off a couple of wildlings. I don't know if it was because it's raining and, you know, they're fighting in the mud or and what's leather, going like on. And leather, like all furs yeah. on and stuff. I don't, it was really awkward. Yeah, it, it wasn't, it was not their finest moment. And yeah, when you, de- when you contrast it with the other, um, you know, fight in this episode, um, there's really no comparison. Because yeah, those three are, you know, I mean, especially like even Grey Worm has like, after he the first round of soldiers, he kills the last one. He's spinning that spear. Yeah, right behind his back, and you're just like, geez, dude, that's pretty impressive. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Ian Glenn, I, I always thought he was a good fighter, you know, because he's got that one scene where he squares off uh, with the Dothraki dude at the end of season one. No, I've always thought he was a good fighter, but you don't see oh, it. It's, okay. not, it's, it's, not on, it's not on display as it is with Jon Snow all the time. Like, there's other characters um, yeah. that you see fight. A lot more than you see Jorah. I, I can think of that stand out to me. You're right, the Dothraki standoff where he's like, "Come at me, horse lord" or whatever, and then the and yeah. then the Yunkai scene, and then uh, Daznak's pit, and then obviously, you know what he did in uh, when freeing Danny and from Vase Dothrak, and then season seven, so beyond the wall. So, I maybe five moments stand out to me in the entire series that I can think of Jorah actually standing out as a fighter, and when he's when he does it and he's on screen doing it, you can tell that Ian Glenn's uh, being a veteran actor and done so much work as he's done really stands out 
So I mean, it, it impressed me how the the elder statesman of the of the of the crew of the cast in this episode dwarfed the guy who you know Jon Snow who's faster than the camera now. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, um, well, and I guess if you think about it, at that point, John hadn't had a lot of fights. No, he'd only so he maybe, only pulled Longclaw once and attacked. He killed Corn Halfhand. Right. So I mean, he re- he probably just hadn't had the choreography training at that point um, going in. But yeah, it definitely was a different a, a, a stark uh, contrast. <laughs> I see what you did there. You know what else? I so, just, you know what ice? What gets me is well, let's stay with Jon Snow and Ygritte. Um God, and you know these two are getting married this uh, coming up in June, so coming up this next month here in it a couple of days. The thing of fan fiction is made of. Oh yeah, it's gonna be the fair. It's it's the real royal wedding that we all deserve. But um, <laughs> uh, I love it. That was good. Johnny, Johnny, they like Rose Leslie and Kit Harrington. Even way back then, had such great chemistry. Like when they're standing there squaring off, and Ygritte kills the old man, and then she pulls her bow and starts aiming it at all the other wildlings. Like, stay away from my cinnamon bun. You're about to get an arrow. Oh. Yes. Yeah, and one of the things that that I still think about to this day, you know, not not every day, but the 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 part where she actually <laughs> she shoots John <laughs> as oh, yeah. because he has to go, and the absolutely look of agony. In both of their faces. That's, an, that's the next episode, isn't it? In the finale of yes. season three, she shoots um, him, yeah. That, that really sold that whole relationship so well. And the way that she just busted his balls all the time, like figuratively <laughs> and literally. Um, I, I just loved it. And it was just one of those situations that, you know, it really kind of ma- – she, she made – and again, I don't know what she is in, how she is in the book. But she really made oh, that like character that. Um, into something that you're like, oh, I like this. I want to watch more of this. Oh, there's no doubt. In um, the books, um, Ygritte is definitely a standout character while she's in the on the pages. She's definitely a yeah, memorable character. It, it was amazing. Um, but that was one of the moments that, to me, really sticks out um, in – and then not only that, I mean, they had the moment in the cave and the hot wa- um, hot water. And, <laughs> I mean, there, still jo- there are still jokes being made today about Game of Thrones about that. Like, you know, <laughs> Jon Snow has a way in caves. I mean, it, it, it like, seriously, it was, it was genius, genius uh, acting in part of her. Um, but the way they played off of each other. Um, you know, sometimes you, you kind of ship, as, and I'm saying this with air quotes, you know, two people together that are just actors acting together. Um, but then when you finally actually see it happen, you're like, oh, my God, this is this is the best thing ever. And it's kind of like you see uh, um, Kit and Amelia Clark together uh, on screen and even off screen joking around and stuff. And you're like, man, these guys have amazing chemistry. Well, they dated for a little bit early on before him and him and Rose Leslie. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> okay. And but now they're just like, you know, they're such good friends and she's best friends with Rose. They just have great chemistry together. And you think for while you're watching them on screen that hey, these people are have to be together in real life. But but that's just a case where you're shipping it in your mind and it's not really happening. But um no, you know, we talked about this on our last podcast when we recapped Hardhome. Um we talked about Carsey being the hero of Hardhome. Um and I wouldn't say Ygritte was the MVP of this episode, but 
for this season, she definitely was a probably a, the standout character of season three. Almost like she did, she did such an amazing job every time she was on screen with her and Jon Snow. And you're right, she busted his balls every time she was talking to him, and it was hilarious. And um, she kind of added a new dimension to his character, and that goes to Nina Gold, the casting director for Game of Thrones. She landed all these amazing uh, actors to on on the show, and Rose Leslie is just another one of those. Um, Corey Smith. I noticed another thing in this episode. We had three direwolves in this episode, and in 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 one of those in one, in the fight scene at the tower on the gift, um, Shaggy Dog and Summer actually had action scenes. God, do you miss the days where we had direwolves on screen? Multiple <laughs> yeah. direwolves? Yeah, multiple direwolves. Or you know, I just miss Ghost. Really. I know. I, I miss. Uh, you know, when are we ever? Where the hell is Ghost? Um. Yeah, no, that was definitely. You know what else stood out to me about that scene? Uh, Rickon, poor little Rickon. Oh. He had more. He had more dialogue uh, in this episode than he did all of season six. <laughs> um, I noticed. <laughs> Not that that was hard to uh, to beat. Um, you know what else? Real quick, I'm sorry I have to interrupt you, but you know what else? I I made a. I said this out loud to my wife as we were watching the episode. Everybody in that tower. Is dead except for Bran and Mira. And Mira, yeah, yeah. Everybody and I'm. I mean, I guess you could if you outside you could count Tormund and John, but yeah, everybody else is is dead. Yeah, it's it was pretty sad. I mean, this is one of the things that that when you go back, it's like you know, it's fun to go back. You see the different, you know, the way the characters were different, um, how much they've grown and changed, and not just physically, but just as, as characters. Because um, this was the first time that Bran, like, knowingly warged um, into the wolf. And Hodor. Into, he, he warged and Hodor. Hodor. Yeah. Right. So it's it's fun to go back and see that um, as opposed, you know, like where he is now. Um, but it's also, it's kind of, and you know, not to get too sappy, but you get to go back and you get to see all these characters that you loved, you know, that... that um, aren't on the show anymore. Yeah, um, like Hodor and and like the Direwolves, um, like Egret. You know, I mean, you get to see all these characters um, that are all dead now because obviously Game of Thrones has a high body count. But it's <laughs> it's fun to go back and see these these episodes. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why we do this. It's not just to like rehash things, but it's fun to go back and watch. And it's see fun, to, especially now that we're coming into the final season of the show, to see where all these characters and actors have grown. And, right. um, you know... I think uh, you also get a new perspective, though. So, for example, like, I know that we're going to get into the twins, um, uh, and I and I know we're all kind of, like, kind of, you know, dreading it, um, because it's such... There's so much to unpack there, but I feel like you you like that um, <laughs> but i feel like you get a new perspective when you when you rewatch the episode things that you may have forgotten but are now because you know about what happens in that scene um things that happened probably in a scene before that you kind of forgot or didn't have perspective for it or you just kind of put it out of your mind your mind and um and so it was really nice to be able to go ahead and watch this again and see some subtle nuances that you may have forgotten or didn't even see at all oh, i don't know what you guys but whenever osha tells um 
Bran that she knows the way to, to uh, Last Hearth and that the, the Umbers are renowned for their for being great warriors. I'm like, no, don't go, don't go. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it is, and it's you know, like you said, Isis, you gain perspective and you catch things um, that you didn't you didn't see the first time. Someone mentioned. Uh, one of the panelists at, at Con of Thrones mentioned that, um, and this not in this episode, but in the first episode of the series when uh, Ned opens up that little note that's supposed oh. to be from Liza, uh-huh. um, that they play Littlefinger's theme while he's reading that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. So I'm just so I, I guess my point is the whole series is filled. With things like that that you don't necessarily catch. I mean, when you're watching that first episode, you don't even know who the hell Littlefinger is. You know, and that and that it really goes to that's a testament of the the type of long game that right. Game of Thrones has. That it is so. It's not one of those things that you know. Normally, like my husband, he watches a movie, he never rewatches it again. I watched it once. I already know what happens. I'm good or whatever. <laughs> but we can watch Game of Thrones and you know old episodes of Game of Thrones and and with because of new perspective, you know, we can go and say, oh my god hell, you know, so-and-so said this in season three, and here we are in season seven. It freaking makes sense now. And um, and, and that's what I'm talking about, that, like, yeah. they're, you know, unpacking an episode after, you know, four seasons ago uh, is is totally worth it. You know what? That's why we're you, doing this. You're segueing into a great point. Uh, you're segueing into an amazing point right now. And it's I what to I do. You, you, I you, set, you set them up for me, and I always try to knock them down. But uh, Arya and the Hound, this episode, I think, may have been – and I'll have to go back and watch some more episodes. This may have been Arya's last episode where she had a moral compass where, like, where she actually cared about people. Because did you guys notice how she cared about the guy on the side of the road that the Hound was going to kill by the cart? I, yeah, I don't know if it's the last episode where she cares about anybody, um, because she's—I think she's she's kind of nice with the with the actress lady, Lady Crane, that gives her well, the yeah, the that, super suit. You're right about that, but what I'm talking about is like Arya after the Red Wedding wouldn't care about the strangers. Like she got mad about the Hound. Uh, punching the dad at the at the farmstead, you know that we see in season seven, they're dead. She got mad right. that he he punched him out, but she didn't really care. She went to their house, ate their food, and the, she knew the hound was going to do something. And she was like, "You're such a shit," and they took off. Whatever. But no, I agree. I mean, I think there's there we can we can say that there there was Arya before the red wedding, and there was Arya after the red wedding. Mm. Yeah, and you notice it on her face as she's watching the red wedding happen, and she sees like the the men from Winterfell are sitting outside Grey Wind's um, kennel, and the the Frey man come up to him and like, hey, is the wedding over? And the Frey's like, yeah, the wedding's over, and they start cutting their throats, and she starts getting upset about it. And she hides, and then she watches him kill Grey Wind, and she tries to run into the castle, and the Hound knocks her out and says it's too late. You know, go ahead. Go- well, I was just going to say, you know, we're, we're talking about foreshadowing. Um, and, you know, before we get to the red wedding, when Arya's sitting out there um, talking with the hound. When he's eating the pig? 
Yes, when they're eating the pig's feet. And, you know, they get into this little argument, and she says, one day I'm going to put a knife right through your eye. And if they have that on previously on Game of Thrones in Season 8, and it shows Arya saying that to the Hound, pray for the Hound, guys. Pray right. for the no. fucking Hound. <laughs> and that's, see, and, and that's one of the instances of where we talk, talk about all this foreshadowing, and then you look at where Arya is now because she eventually – she has the opportunity to kill him, doesn't. And then we also see him being removed from her list when she's training at the House of Black and White. True. So True. that's one of those things where it's like they they definitely foreshadowed it. It's there. The groundwork is there. But it, it, it's so beautifully done because later on she changes her mind, but that, that's foreshadowing. And we've seen how much foreshadowing comes true. Mm-hmm. So I think that if we do get something in Season 8, that the tension is going to be there. Um, I mean, but basically, I feel like this, I feel like this episode, the, this episode, uh, especially, you know, what happens <clears throat> at the tent that the twins, I can't even talk right right now uh, <laughs> at the twins. Uh, I'm not even drinking uh, at the twins is really kind of telling, though, because he could have very well as just given her up and they probably would have given him money. Oh, the hound. Yes. Oh yeah, and and so the fact that he protected her, and you know knew the the look in in her eye, was like oh my god she does not need to see this and I need to get her as far far away from this as possible, is really a turning point for for uh, the hound. Uh, I feel like I, I in my opinion that's what I felt. You know that that's a good point, and you both make good points. Tormund was an asshole. We didn't like him. At that point, and the Hound made rounded the corner because he saved Arya, and uh, then they went on their their great, wonderful adventure in season four. After that, so there were a lot of turning points and a lot of, and this was the penultimate episode of season three. So you know, you get that that this. If if you guys did, you guys also get the feeling this could have served as the season finale because you had the red wedding event, you had uh, uh, Bran deciding to leave. His brother and Osha to go to the wall. John escapes from the wildlings. These are things that would normally happen at a season finale, and we still had one more episode after this. So it was. Oh, pre- it was- I'm telling you right now that if if we would have ended the episode after after that, uh, TV TV watchers or whatever only. <laughs> oh my God, Smith! You, I guarantee. Can you what? imagine these these showmies having to wait an entire season, to, an entire year to find out what happened after the red wedding? Can you imagine yeah. that? They couldn't. There's no way. There, there's they no way. Shonleys would have. I guarantee you this. Shonleys would have picked up that damn book and read it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, true. that's true. Yeah, they would have absolutely brought and picked up the next book and been like, "What the fuck happened to all these?" Exactly. Kids? I guarantee. Can you imagine exactly the Reddit boards going? Rob Stark isn't dead, and here's why. Catelyn really isn't dead, and here's why. Can you imagine that kind of stuff? That would have been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but let's, God, it would have been a mess. <laughs> since we're talking about them, let's go ahead and shift into the final uh, act of this of this episode. Finally. <laughs> okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to put this out there. Is there anything important that happened? <laughs> I'm not really sure. I really don't know, guys. I didn't watch it. Right, let's um, talk about it. I've only seen this episode. This is the third time I've ever seen it, and it's a conscious choice that I've made because – this episode, while being a superb episode in the Game of Thrones library, 
is my least favorite of the superb episodes because of the heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching moments in this that happen. Like you've got Bran and and Rickon having to having to leave each other, and you have that brother brotherly bond, you know, and you feel bad and it's really sad because Rickon doesn't want to leave his little brother. His brother he wants to protect him and take care of his older brother because you know you know Bran doesn't have use of his legs, and then you've got John and you got separating at that moment and they've fallen in love and you know they she catches up to him in the next episode but it's just briefly so you got that moment and then you've got um what happens at the red wedding um and as as they're going into the twins what really kicked me in the teeth was gray wind leading the the line of sark soldiers and i'm like god damn it that's the last time we're going to see Grey Wind walk anywhere on TV. He's done after this. We'll see him in his kennel briefly, but this is the last time we'll see Grey Wind do anything. And I remember reading this in the books going, why the hell would Rob Stark agree to let to, to kennel his wolf? And I know that there were like – he was trying to make nice with Walder Frey, but you go back and you watch this episode, and you kind of – like I, I try to take off. My, 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 my rosy book reader glasses and put them down and, and put on my Shonley glasses for a little bit. And it's hard to do. But Isis, when you watched this episode, were you mad he kindled Grey Wind? It was like almost like, well, I mean, because we can, we can look at it with, you know, future glasses and we can see, like, damn, this really sucks. But this is the thing. In my mind, whether he kindled him or not, they would have just, they would have killed, the, they, there was no way. Yeah, you're that right. They would have rained arrows down on top of him anyway. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. It, there was no way that this was going to go ahead and change. The, 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 the direwolf being out would not have changed the outcome. You're right. You're right about that. No, I agree. Um, Corey Smith, as we get into the twins um, episode, or as we get into, into this part of the episode, and they're passing the bread and salt around, my wife goes, what are they doing that for? And I'm, I'm always, when I watch my episodes, these episodes of my wife, because she hasn't read the books, um, she'll ask me certain questions like, why are they doing this? And I'll, I'll pause it, and I'll explain things to her. And I know you, as a book reader, you probably do the same thing. Um, so, like, I, I explain some of these things, like, uh, she's like, why are they eating, why are they dipping the bread in the salt? And I'm like, because... They were afraid Walder Frey was going to break guest right, and I had to explain what guest right was. And then I, she goes, well, did they, did they trust that he would follow the rules? And I'm like, apparently they did. He's a dick, and he paid for it in season seven, but still. Yeah. No, it's – you know, it is interesting. For book reader to, to show only watcher, um, I mean they changed a lot of things I think in this episode from the books specifically to make it more of a shock. Um, yeah. it's, it's definitely still a shock in the books, but there's more uh, foreshadowing, foreshadowing yeah. in, in the books. Like even like Grey Wind, um, you know, they talk about Grey Wind throughout the books as being kind of like suspicious of people, like knowing when people are trying to heart, hurt Rob. Rob used and, him as a, as a divining rod almost when it came to character, like different characters in the right. books. Right, and in the books – when they show up at the twins, uh, Grey Wind immediately attacks the phrase. So, it, you know, they That's cut right. that I forgot. I it. forgot about that, yeah. Right. So, and, and obviously because Grey Wind knows what they're actually trying to do there. 
So, yeah, I mean, things like that, the bread and salt, um, I don't know if they, maybe it was in the episode before, but um, in the books, Catelyn tells Rob before they get to the twins, as soon as we get into the the twins, you need to ask for bread and salt Mm -hmm. because then we have guest right. And guest right in the books is like, it's it's like an unbreakable bond or or rule that if you if you're not allowed to kill someone in your home and and they talk about this uh brand talks about it later that there's the a legend cook. about the rat cook right and the rat cook um he's hosting this great king in his castle um and the king and his son and the rat cook secretly kills the king's son to get revenge on the king for I forget what. Bakes him into a pie, makes the king eat him, um, and then eventually murders the king. And it's <clears throat> and the rat king is cursed for all time to wander around this castle eating his own children. Um, and Bran talks about how he's, he wasn't cursed because he killed the king. He wasn't cursed because he killed the king's son. He was cur- or made him eat his own son. He was cursed because he killed a guest under his own roof. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it was a big deal. They didn't make it, they didn't really explain it too well on the show. Um, I know, like, you know, when we host our uh, our little Game of Thrones feasts and and parties for the finales and the premieres, um, I have bread and salt at the front door. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> For, for people, and I had that little quote that that Walter Frey about being honored, you know, honored guests be welcome in my home, blah 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 blah. Um, so yeah, I mean they they trim things from the books to make it more dramatic for the show. Um, they, they foreshadow it pretty heavily in the, I mean, as far back as the second book. Did you also uh, did you also catch? I didn't. I don't remember. I think I remember a long time ago, probably like well, not a long long time ago, before season six started before the finale and we knew there was going to be a Manderley that named, yes. named Jon Snow <laughs> the King of the North. Right. There was a Manderley at the Red Wedding on the show and I didn't even know that. I remember yeah. getting pissed off because there was never a, a, a prominent Manderley presence in the Northern Army on the show. And But right. it, twice you see his pin on his chest twice in this episode. Yeah, I didn't catch the first time. Uh, the first couple times I watched it, um, I, I saw the Manderley pin on a on the same guy um, at the wedding feast. Um, but I did notice this second time around because um, he's standing like right behind Rob. He's got a fantastic pin, mustache too. Yeah, he has that kind of curled mustache, and the pin is pretty damn massive. Yeah, uh, yeah, I caught that th- this time around. I didn't necessarily necessarily catch it the first couple times around. And you have things like we talked about this before recording the podcast. ISIS, um, you we I don't know, you talked we talked about noticing a lot of the um, different different things that happened in this episode that did not foreshadow the actual slaughter of the Red Wedding. There were like funny moments, like some some like looks, but like you talked about um, how. Uh, Edmure, Edmure would have all these facial expressions whenever he saw his, his wife. Like he was very upset and worried about it. And he sees her and he's smiling and he's just taken aback by how beautiful she is. There were a lot of those cues in this, this episode before the actual slaughter happens. Yeah. Um, so I think from my perspective, rewatching this episode again, um, 
you know, I forgot about all those lighter moments, if you will, um, that happened in the episode. And it was it's kind of incredible because, you know, at the time you, you're watching it and you, I, they did it so that way you were taken aback about the massacre that happens afterwards. And um, and it's just so amazing that now watching it for for a second time because I didn't watch it again. Um, I, I only need to live through it once. And so I watched I watched it again, and it was just so amazing to see um, Edmure uh, Tully, who to me had the, the actor who plays him, who's uh, Tobias Menzies, um, is great in Outlander, and if you've ever seen him in Outlander freaking amazing uh he's just an an amazing actor and i was glad to see that he's i believe he's supposed to be coming back um for this last season i did not know that i don't know i I, didn't know that i thought he was i thought there was or maybe it was something i was hearing a rumor or whatever but you're the the book expert for that show i don't know well no 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 i'm saying for for game of thrones oh for game of thrones oh we don't we haven't no we haven't heard anything we we've we've asked several questions like is he going to come back we nobody's ever seen him on set he's he said he doesn't know if he's coming back. Yeah, at and this he's, point, he, he said that last season too. So yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, my my uh, thing is is that you know one of the one of the very very lightest moments in it is that you um you know you have Edmure who is surprised by her beauty and like kind of was like. He didn't. He didn't look like the type of guy who wanted to get married to this woman, and he hadn't seen her yet. But he was not really excited about this whole, you know, marriage alliance <laughs> and everything. And then the moment he sees her, he's like, "Oh fuck! I just hit the lotto!" And <laughs> it was it was really really funny, and it was a moment that we all could kind of like laugh about it and everything. And then the, you know, there's even that part where Walder calls for the betting ceremony and I'm like holy shit are they really going to do this right now like in front of everybody Mm -hmm. and and, you know and so I really felt like again uh, moments where you're just like nothing bad's going to happen nothing bad's going to happen at all this This is going to be a a harmless episode this is going to be just a very dysfunctional but fun wedding. And you pan from Edmure's facial expressions when he sees Rosalind for the first time to Walder Frey looking at Rob Stark and raising his eyebrows like, see what you missed? See what you missed? Eh, eh, yeah. yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. That was yeah. A thing. And, and I do think, uh, you know, they. I think all the humor was injected to specifically throw us off. Yeah. You know, to, to lower our our danger sense or our, you know, whatever you want to call it. I think it was specifically injected in there to get us off the scent. And well, but that's the thing is that is just as a Shonley, there was no scent. There really wasn't. There wasn't a scent. You have to understand, Isis, this was the first episode. I mean, there was, there was a, People kind of felt Ned Stark was going to die. People were shocked that he was beheaded because Game of Thrones was kind of the – it wasn't the first series to ever do this, but it was in – the, in, the, in the new golden era of television, this was the first fantasy t- uh, series that took the main hero of the show that everybody thought was the main hero and killed him in the first season. So everybody was kind of shocked. Like, You're not, they're not going to kill uh, Sean Bean. They're not going to kill Ned Stark. He's not going to die, and he dies. But people kind of knew, like, you know, he's going to be trotted out to, to Baylor, except to Baylor, blah, blah, blah. It's probably going to happen. So that was kind of known. But this moment was the moment where book readers 
can be proud they didn't spoil it for Shonley's. We kept our fucking mouth shut. Didn't you, Smith? Like, I didn't tell anybody this was going to happen. I, I, I mean, okay, so there, there's it, – it's weird because I've – you know, after I started watching the show, I've slowly converted basically everybody I know that's over the age of 18 to watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> and – you know, each time, like, my brother was watching, and he, you know, I was kind of keeping track of where he was going with the show, and he was living with us at the time, and I'm like, you know, what episode are you on, where are you at, and, you know, he told me, and when he told me he got to this episode, I was like, all right, cool, man, I'm going to be out in the living room, um, you know, come talk to me when it's over, and it was kind of like a, you know, when you get that bad news, you know, let's go talk about it, <laughs> and we'll kind of, you know, we'll work through it, and... Um, you know, he brings out a box of tissues and shit. Right, yeah. Like, I knew, like, hey, we're going to have some stuff to work through after this. We're going to have a counseling session. Yeah. We're going to sing Kumbaya, hold hands, right. yeah, hug it like, out. My, listen, yeah, like, man, my wife my wife reads me. She Like, I, I've got a pretty good poker face. I like to play poker. I've actually got a pretty good poker face. My wife reads me. She knows that I'm lying to her. I cannot lie to her. And when this episode came up, I purposely did not talk about it like i kept talking about the finale like oh my god we're two episodes away from the finale oh my god what's gonna happen in the finale oh oh, oh." you know and i just didn't know i went overboard to avoid talking about the red wedding and when black walder goes to the back and closes the doors and catlin turns around and looks at him and the reins of castamere comes on i visibly tensed up my wife looked at me and she went What's about to happen? And we were watching it with like 10 friends. And about half the room had read the books. And there I was like, nothing. <laughs> but she, yeah. she kept her eyes on me for like a solid minute. I'm like, fuck, it's about to happen. Oh, god damn it. It's about yeah. to happen. No. Well, I, and I guess where I was going with that was, you know, I think when he watched it, it was, it was about a season behind. So it, it wasn't too far behind. But then I've got other friends that have just watched it within the last year or so. And by now, I think that, you know, like, I have a friend that is so entirely, like, he devotes so much energy into avoiding spoilers, so much to the fact that he won't even look at movie posters. (laughs) Wow. You know, like, just to not know, like, for Avengers, he didn't see a movie poster, so he wouldn't know who was in Avengers. Wow. Right? And so, but even he knew that when he started watching Game of Thrones, that there was something about a wedding and he wasn't going to like it. And, you know, so I think it's, it's moved beyond where it's like, it's just so that, you know, this, this, this whole event is so, you know, iconic and it's, you know, that it's, you can't avoid it. Like, even if you've never seen the show, you know, like he said, you know, he knows something about a wedding and he's not going to like it. And um, see, back then, there was no free folk subreddit. It was the, the – right. there was the Game of Thrones subreddit, and there was the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. And at that time, those were the two main message boards you went to. There was a couple other ones like Westeros.org, but these were the two main message boards you went to for your news. And back then, a Song of Ice and Fire subreddit actually did the show news as well. So you had two subreddits competing over news from the show, and even the book readers from A Song of Ice and Fire, they, they did not spoil a damn thing. There were no spoilers-only posts. There was nothing. And, I mean, you're right. People knew there was a, a wedding event coming up and that, it was gonna, that something was going to happen. 
And this you just can't avoid it. That's you why everybody record. It. That's why everybody recorded themselves watching the episode. That's why you right. had so many reaction videos come out of this episode. This was the first time this happened, and George R. R. Martin went on a talk show the, the next weekend, and they played like a, a, a five-minute clip of reaction videos, and he talked about, yeah, we knew that was going to happen, and we knew people were going to do this, so we were ready for it. That's back when he was so involved with the show, you know, like that kind of stuff. This is what made this episode in the ninth ep- the ninth episode of season three. This set Game of Thrones on the map. It was already there. No, this, yeah, it, it's it's it, it's impossible to understate how much this episode launched Game of Thrones into public consciousness. Yeah, because how, you had, however you want to say it, you had it, it, the Starks were completely wiped out. I mean, because the King of the North is dead, Catelyn Stark is dead. Um, the Northern Army is demolished. The Starks, I mean, the Starks are scattered. Um, they don't know who's alive and who's dead. They each, you know, each family member thinks everybody else is dead. So uh, w- Winterfell is a smoking wreck. So you right. really don't like when you watch this happen. And Isis, I have to ask you really quick, as a show only f- watcher, and you weren't part of, you know, we weren't recording Take the Black at that time with you. It was myself and Charles Evans who started the podcast. So you, I didn't get to tell you this stuff when this happened. I didn't get to hear your reactions. But did you think it was over for the Starks when this happened? Because, you know, Jon Snow's a bastard. The two little kids are separated. The daughters are separated. Nobody's together. And the King of the North is dead. Ned Stark's dead. And Catelyn Stark's dead. Do you think it was over for the Starks? Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought it was done. I was like, they're, okay, well, that's the end of them. Um, okay, so... <laughs> Who, who else is out there, you know, that's good? I mean, it, it, it like, it was such a, and I think, you know, when we were talking, when you guys were talking about how this, this episode really launched um, Game of Thrones, I mean, I think Game of Thrones was already popular. I think it was the one that, that the news started taking notice. Yeah. And then once you got the national news covering your episodes internationally uh, i think it even got bigger than that i mean i think game of thrones was very very popular you know early on but i i feel like this episode was so well done that the news could not ignore it and the news had to report on it you have videos you know viral videos have become you know um new but very very popular and uh, or reaction videos on YouTube and things like that, and so I think it was like kind of a perfect storm where you know that was becoming very popular, and then you had this event that happened that we all were feeling the exact same thing, and we can share it with each other, and it was fun to share it with each other. Yeah, and, and it it and it, this this moves you know it, it like it moves beyond how well the episode was done or how popular. Uh, the show was, it was just, you know, I, I go back to what my friend said. He knew that there was a wedding and he wasn't going to like it. it. This stuff, like people talk about the red wedding in casual conversation. Yeah. This is, yeah. this is the show's seminal moment. You cannot understate how, how uh, important or big or, you know, whatever you want to say about this moment. It, it, it pervaded, like just being a great episode of TV and you got to watch this. It moved into just like, a, you know, being a, a joke, you know, like that you hear talk shows hosts say like, Hey, watch out. You don't want to get red wedding. You know, like it, <laughs> I, I 
wedding after that. Every I, wedding after I, this I, episode was called the Red Wedding, by the way. Right, and and that's what I'm saying. Like it, this this episode, it wasn't because it was well shot or well acted or whatever. It was just such a twist, and it 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 literally just shot the show into to common vernacular or whatever you want to call it to where it was just like even if you know nothing nothing about game of thrones you know there's a wedding and you know that you're not gonna like it you know what i mean you I don't like know when gonna... i'm gonna start using that i knew there was a wedding yeah. and i knew i wasn't gonna like it yeah See, you don't and know i've, I've used it in conversations like yeah. i've even said it where you know I have a bad meeting or something like that, and I, and someone's like, "Oh, how bad was the meeting?" And I was like, "Oh, red wedding. That's all I got." <laughs> I mean, seriously, like it yeah, started off good, and then it just went to shit. That that's what I call it. It was red wedding, and that's what I'm saying. Like it 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 transcended the show itself. The episode became just something that was just entirely much larger than the show itself you don't have to know anything about the show you don't know what season it happens you don't know when it's going to happen when you start watching the show you just know at some point you're going to get there and something really bad is going to happen at a wedding because it just it's it's pervaded every corner of (laughs) you know of just the worldwide you know american and you know like i said worldwide consciousness It's you, you. You don't know anything about it, but you still know that there's a bad wedding. And, and that's what I'm saying is that Ga- Game of Thrones will age well. We'll, you know, oh, there are absolutely. some shows that do, just don't age well. You know, like you watch them 20 years down the road and you just kind of go, oh, my God, what the hell were they trying to do here? Or you laugh about it and, you know, things like that. This show will age very, very well. This episode will age very, very well. And that's and that's. You know, we gotta wrap this up. We've gone kind of long tonight. The Red Wedding deserved a long, episode, a long episode. Will take the black, but you know, they 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 stabbed a pregnant woman in her in her pregnant belly and killed her. They cut they cut a mother's throat after she cut a young girl's throat, and there was a slaughter, a whole a wholesale slaughter. It was just terrible. It was so much death in this episode. And or or the head that's on top of the direwolf. Oh, mean, come that's on. next episode. That's the next episode when they start oh, when they're yeah, chanting right. "King in the Sorry. North, King in the North." Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. that Sorry. that was too much for me God. because they, that's what that was the moment when when you watch Arya kill the phrase in season seven. That's the moment I thought about was them tying Rob Stark's body to his horse, staking his. Direwolf's head onto his corpse and chanting mm-hmm. King of the North. That's the moment I thought about. And I'll also say this, because <laughs> I would be remiss in my duty as Chief Lady Stoneheart Observer <laughs> to say the show missed a fucking opportunity to not go at least a little bit Lady Stoneheart in the next episode or maybe a little bit in season four, because when, when Catelyn Stark screams and cuts the girl's throat, and then sits there and screams again and has her throat cut, you're looking at a woman who, whose spirit will not rest. She needs vengeance after that. She needs it. And I told my wife, I said, when I get on Take the Black tonight, I'm going to say this was a moment we should have put Lady Stoneheart in the episode. But I did it. I mean – I did my Props part. to you for waiting an hour into talking about this <laughs> without mentioning yeah. Lady Stoneheart. I mean, the, self, 
the self control there is just. There were several know, times amazing. I wanted to, to huge, put it in there. Huge amount, a huge amount of growth. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm like bowing it. right now. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I'm very proud of you. So, so this was. You're right. We've talked about this episode to death. This was an amazing episode. We've all we've all got our opinions about it. I suggest after you listen to this episode, who's, whoever's out there listening to us, and we thank you for listening, being our faithful listeners and voting in our polls and telling us which episodes to watch, go look at the reaction YouTube videos again and see these people watch this episode. Because if you look at the reaction episodes, the reaction videos to the Red Wedding compared to reaction videos to like the Loot Train Attack or something in Season 7, they're completely different. The ones that are videoed now are almost staged. The ones for the season three episode uh, nine Red Wedding Reigns of Castamere, that was real reaction and it was raw and it was hilarious and I still go back and watch them every once in a while I get bored. But um, that's our show. Uh, thanks for hanging in there for an hour and almost an hour and a half of Take the Black tonight. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about another episode that you will pick next week when we put it up on the uh, site. Uh, we'll recap whatever episode you choose. Make sure you comment down below this article and say uh, what you would like us to, uh, to put in the poll, and you'll vote on it. So for myself, for Isis, for Corey Smith, this has been Take the Black, Volar Mogulis.